Well, it's good to be able to look at God's word with you this morning as we've been in a series uh, looking at the book of Proverbs, and uh, we're excited to be a part of that here together in the West Auditorium, those worshiping in the East Auditorium, as well as those of you joining us online. And as we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, we understand that the book of Proverbs, it's actually part of a, a genre of literature within the Bible that we call wisdom literature. And this particular book of the Bible, it's filled with what we might call sayings or adages or axioms, uh, like every culture has, like their sayings. But the difference between everyday sayings and adages and axioms in uh, whatever culture, ours or another, and the book of Proverbs and Scripture, uh, the, the significant difference is a word we say as inspiration. Uh, inspiration, not as like a, you can do it, inspiration, but like a theological God-inspired, God-given Word of God inspiration. And so when we look at these sayings in the book of Proverbs that we've been studying, uh, you could say that they're more than just good sayings. They're actually God's sayings. And rather than just some good advice, it's actually God's advice for the living of our lives. The 16th century Spanish author, Miguel de Cervantes, he, uh, I love the way that he describes a proverb. He says, a biblical proverb, it is a short sentence based on long experience. And so within these sayings, we have a lot of insight and experience and wisdom just packed into a very short phrase. That's why if you've been following along with our reading plan that Pastor Adam has been uh, facilitating and leading us through, we have had you read a chapter of Proverbs, the same chapter, over and over and over each day in a week so you can extract out of it the richness that is buried in those short sentences, the long experience and the wisdom that we want to gain from it. Because really, Proverbs, it's designed, you could say almost like as a tutor, to, to lead us and to tutor us in practical ways of living our life, or as the title of our series suggests, the art of living wisely. And so over the last several weeks, we've been looking at subjects that we find in Proverbs. We've looked at the, we've looked at the topic of good planning. Uh, we've looked at the subject of uh, the wisdom that comes with age or gray hair. Uh, last week, we looked at the subject of pride and its counterpart, humility. In the weeks ahead, we're going to look at how important it is to have uh, key friendships in our life, not just for kids, but that friendships help shape the reality of who we are and where we're going in the days ahead. And then uh, we're also going to look at our speech, the words that we use, as well as the words that we type and the role that that plays in our lives. But today, what we want to look at specifically, uh, as it's covered in Proverbs, is the subject of our emotions. We're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about our emotions, and in particular, the emotion of anger. And when we think about the subject of anger, um, our cultural commentary of the last few years, it would not be hard to find plenty of anger hiding out there. It's not really hiding anywhere. It's in plain sight. You turn on any news station, uh, you flip on, uh, start flipping through any social media feed, and you'll see displayed in full color pictures, videos, and speech, plenty of anger in our world. But anger, it isn't something that's just out there somewhere. That we recognize that anger, it infiltrates our places of work. Uh, students, you see it in your schools. Uh, if we're honest, uh, there's plenty of it uh, hidden behind the doors of our homes. Uh, ultimately, because if we're honest, in each and every one of our lives, there is anger at some measure expressed in some way in our own hearts. 
So we all have anger that is a part of our realm of reality, both personally and uh, the spaces and places where we live, work, and play that we deal with. Uh, I was uh, recently uh, came across the story of a elderly couple who they were speaking about the many fights they had seen uh, through the course of their marriage. And the wife, in just this moment of just candor and humility, was just really encouraging her husband to say, you know, I really admire the way that you always remain so calm in our fights. You know, honestly, she was being honest, like, I tend to blow up and yell at you and, you know, all that. You just still remain so calm. Like, how is it that when I get so irate, you manage to stay so calm? To which the husband replied, oh, that's easy, honey. Anytime you blow up at me, I just go clean the toilet. To which she was like, like, really, like, that works? Uh, and he said, oh yeah, sure. Uh, all I do is when I clean the toilet, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> and so there are obviously good ways and not so good ways for us to deal with our anger. And Proverbs, it gives us some very practical wisdom as how to sift through, process, and respond to the anger that we find in our own lives. Researchers, they have identified, interestingly, 34,000 different emotions that a human can experience. Uh, 34,000. It's like, wow, to me that seems like a lot. Uh, For some of you, you think about maybe someone you live with and you're like, eh, it's about right. (laughs) Maybe a little on the low side. Um, And so even with all those different emotions, 34,000, the reality is, researchers say, that we actually tend to only identify out of that multitude three. That there are three emotions that we will go to, happy, sad, or angry, to label, uh, again, some version of what must be an umbrella reality over some other set of emotions. Because with 34,000 emotions, uh, and there's only three, then we must conclude that there are some other emotions going on to one of those headers, of which anger that we're going to look at today is certainly one of those emotions. And so we want to look at that, but also we want to see some of the emotions that fall under that umbrella emotion of anger in our lives. (coughs) Sorry about that. Okay, we're going to start with a a proverbial-esque passage that we find in uh, in the book of Ephesians. It's it's some wisdom for us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is giving us instruction on how to live a godly life and some wisdom for a Christian life. And it says it this way when it comes to the topic of anger. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, it says, In your anger, do not sin. That in your anger... Do not sin, which is important because what we see here is anger in and of itself is not actually a sin. And here and elsewhere throughout Scripture, we see uh, certainly anger uh, leads to the potential result of sin, but it's not an automatic anger equals sin. In fact, we see throughout Scripture that there's actually, uh, and in our own lives, there's actually even a righteous kind of anger, a good anger. You think about uh, some, uh, like the anger that comes out of Uh, protection, for example. Like if someone is wanting to harm one of your loved ones, there's an anger that is a protective love. Or if there's a cancer that is killing the body of someone you love, like you're angry at that cancer. 
We see the righteous anger displayed throughout uh, the scriptures in God and in Jesus. For example, Matthew chapter 21, there's a setting where Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple and he's, he's angry and he starts overturning these tables and he's upset. And the reason he's doing this is because he's angry that people are being cheated. They're being cheated out of money uh, because what happened was there's these things that in order to, uh, to make sacrifices in the temple, you had to have. Like you had to have these certain things to be able to sacrifice. You had to buy it. And what they had to send done is they had turned the temple into what you might call an airport economy. Uh, it's like, you can buy it, but you're going to pay a whole lot more for it inside uh, than you will outside. And so this upset Jesus that people are not only being taken advantage of, but of all the places being taken advantage of in God's house. And so there's certainly a righteous anger that we can have in our lives. But what we're going to spend our time on and what we really want to uh, get after, and really the one that has sin crouching at our door, is that of unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger where scripture warns when that is the, the case, sin is not far off. We see this first demonstrated in the Bible in the, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter four, in the beginning, Genesis one, God creates everything. Genesis two and three, we've got Adam and Eve. Uh, they sin, they disobey God and bring in brokenness and struggle into our world. And then in Genesis chapter four, we uh, have Cain and Abel. These are Adam and Eve's two sons. And what happens is they are bringing offerings to God, Cain and Abel. And it says that Abel, that he brought the first fruits to God. He brought his best. But Cain, he brings essentially the leftovers, the scraps. And so here's how that plays out. Genesis chapter four, verse four. It says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain, he was very angry. That's the first time we see the word in the scriptures. Cain was angry and his face was downcast. That the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? And so here we see God knows Cain's heart. He sees that he's angry, but he gives him the opportunity, saying in verse seven, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, well, then sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so let's see how Cain responds to God's caution. Verse eight. It says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And so with sin crouching at the door, Cain fails to rule over it and instead sin rules over him. Sinning in his anger to the point of murdering his very own brother. And while I think for the most part it's safe to assume that murder is not crouching at our doorsteps, when I think about, for me, as you think about for your life, in our life, as you consider the actions and the words that you most regret, how many of those actions how many of those words were done, were said in anger? I mean, as you think about, as I think about my life's biggest regrets, I think about how many of those were sparked by the emotion of anger. Well, Proverbs gives us wisdom in this and understanding the caution and the dangers of anger. Proverbs 14, 29 says that one who is quick-tempered, 
is going to display folly. Or Proverbs 15, 18, that a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. Or Proverbs 29, 11, fools give full vent to their rage. For me in my life, I uh, have to admit, I have been a fool more times than I'd care to admit. Uh, not proud to say, it's something I've struggled with since I was a child and all the way through uh, way too much of adulthood that I have tended to express my anger in expressive ways. That over the years, I could throw stuff, I could punch through stuff, I could break stuff, and I've been, Proverbs twenty nine eleven, a fool. And my wife will tell you, uh, there is nothing more attractive in a man than one of those giant male-sized child's temper tantrums that I can tend to throw. Uh, she just loves it, so good for our marriage. Um, but God has been working on me in lots of big ways. I've come a long way, but I've still got plenty to go. And that's a sin that I have to regularly confess and have to continue to lean into the Lord and his Holy Spirit to help me through. Because what happens? What happens is in the end, that, that spark, that anger, it stirs up conflict. And then from there, a hot-tempered person, it just rolls into all kinds of other sins and trouble. You see, in our world, uh, of the many sins that find their root in anger, I'm not sure if there is any other emotion that has led to more violence, death, destruction, whether physically, emotionally, relationally, uh, even spiritually, than the sins that crouch at the door of anger. And while you hear things like throwing stuff and hitting stuff and outbursts and yelling and those kinds of things, while those might be the more obvious and one that you might say, whoa, I, you know, I'm not really tempted by that, that's not a part of my life, um, that maybe for you, don't let yourself off the hook too quickly because maybe for you, uh, when you get angry, rather than get aggressive, perhaps you express your anger in another channel. Maybe you express your anger through manipulation where you are uh, always the victim, not taking responsibility, it's someone else's fault, uh, and not owning your emotions and the reactions and the actions that result. Uh, or maybe for you, it's uh, you get sarcastic. You get sarcastic because uh, if, if someone gets offended, then you just got that little parachute cord, like, oh, I was, I was just joking. Um, you know, don't have to be so sensitive. And so maybe that's your play. For others of you, uh, rather than aggressive, you go what they call as passive aggressive. That in your approach, you give the silent treatment. You give the cold shoulder. You punish the individual by removing the blessing of your presence. As if you are God and merely turning your face away is punishment enough. And so you know that this is your play and you go silent and you need to know that that in and of itself is one of the most dangerous and destructive things you can do to a relationship. Um, again, not maybe violent expressions, but you are like this silent assassin who uh, you don't make much noise, but you've got this you know, wake of bodies of dead relationships floating behind you. And so in the words of God to Cain, if you do what is right in your anger, you can make this right. 
And by doing what is right, by making this right, this is not something you do on your own. Within the gospel, the good news, the grace of Jesus Christ, we realize that what we do to get this right is we first, we confess. We confess our anger and the sins that have resulted. We receive the forgiveness that comes only in Jesus Christ. And from there, we repent. We literally turn away from those sins. We turn away from Ephesians 4, the sins that have been uh, that, have, that have taken place in your anger. And so together, let's look at how God's word and by the power of his Holy Spirit wants to, uh, again, give us wisdom and tutor us and equip us to turn from our anger-induced sin. The first thing we have to do when it comes to being able to functionally turn away from our sin is we have to understand our sin. We have to understand our anger. We have to understand the why, you could say, behind the what of our anger. That's what we see God teeing up for Cain as he says uh, to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Pent up, misunderstood, or all too often just non-understood anger is so destructive to both ourselves and our relationships. Because Proverbs 29, 22 again, it's an angry person that stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person that commits many sins and the fallout that goes with it. St. Augustine, a theologian of the fifth century, he said that our most uh, dominating and deepest emotions, such as anger, can be best understood, he says, as smoke from a fire. Smoke from a fire, that if uh, you could say that anger is the smoke, then there is something burning at the source of that smoke, a fire, a, you could say, a why, a deeper emotion behind that what. And as we said, if there's 34,000 different emotions that we can feel, and anger is just one of those three, well, then I think it's safe to assume that there is another one of the 33,997 that is you know, at the root of that smoke, at the fire behind it. And so it's like, uh, it's like an onion. We have to pull back the layers of anger to get at what really is going on. And so in the case of Cain, God asks him, you know, why are you angry? And you think about it, you know, when it comes to why was Cain angry. Abel, I mean, he didn't do anything to Cain. So why is it that Cain is taking this out on Abel? You know, why is he so angry? Well, we could see that there's something more. There's a fire underneath the smoke of anger for Cain. And that emotion behind the emotion is the emotion of envy and jealousy. Cain was angry because Abel's offering was approved before God and his wasn't. And rather than just do the right thing by you know, bringing the first fruits to God, uh, he, he, he defaults into fire of envy and jealousy and bitterness, which billows in the smoke of anger, which eventually leads to him killing his only brother, even though Abel did nothing to Cain. In our home where we live, in the neighborhood that we've lived in, we actually, I just realized this, we, uh, this month, 15 years ago, moved into that home. And uh, over those 15 years, we, uh, I, I, I'll take responsibility, have uh, had, you could say, when it comes to the whole lawn thing, some good years and some bad years. And just around the corner from our house, a a house we get to drive by all the time, uh, there is this guy whose lawn is perfect. It is perfect precise, it is pristine, it is just spot on every day of the year, never a dead spot, never a dandelion, perfectly edged, checkered pattern, the whole bit. One of those kind of guys. And I knew before I even met the guy, I didn't like him. (laughs) 
I mean, who has that kind of time? And what kind of, you know, dark arts do you have to be engaged in to get your lawn looking like the outfield of Bush Stadium 365 days a year? Like, who does that? And so like Abel, this guy, he didn't do anything to me. But rather than focus on my own grass, uh, it's just easier to get annoyed with his. And so maybe for you, you know, the emotion under the emotion in your life, you realize is, is envy or jealousy or bitterness that is building within you. Another fire that is causing the smoke of anger, I think, in many of our lives is the emotion of fear. The emotion of fear. And I think this is more the case for guys uh, in the sense that I know it's been true in my life that there's these occasions where you come up against a season of ministry or marriage or parenting and you just feel like ill-equipped. You feel inadequate for the task. You don't know what to do. You feel stuck. You're not sure how to move forward. And anger feels a whole lot easier to express than fear. I mean, no guy wants to admit that they're afraid, that they don't know what to do, and anything's better than that. And rather than, and it's almost like anger is an easier one to express because at least you feel like you're in control, even though it's a false sense, like, like you can do something, than the helplessness that comes with admitting fear. But I would encourage you, a question I've asked myself, and I would encourage you in your anger, to courageously ask the question, what am I afraid of here? What is it underneath this that I am afraid of? If you can ask that question, well, then grab the fire extinguisher. You are on your way to putting out the anger in your life. And then sometimes, I think we just have to recognize that anger can often be sparked simply by fatigue. Fatigue, for me, I know if it's been a particularly busy stretch on the calendar, uh, or if, uh, and they know this in my household, like if the clock strikes nine o'clock, uh, we were at an event last night, I'm like, oh man, like, like what time is it? I kid you not, 8.59, like it was like I knew, I was like, it's time for the chariot to turn into a pumpkin, uh, watch out because uh, this whole like Dr. Jekyll turning into Mr. Hyde thing becomes a real thing when I get uh, uh, tired at night. And so for you, you might just need to ask yourself like, whoa, 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 is this, am I just tired, am I exhausted? Am I fatigued? And, and, and just to go to bed, I guess. I don't know what you do from there. But, uh, but when it comes to the smoke of anger, coming from the fire of its deepest emotions, we have to realize that when we are gonna crack the code of the why behind the what, that oftentimes this is not something that is easily done alone. And so secondly, you might need to process this anger with trusted others. To process your anger with others. Here in our household, we are T minus three weeks from having a fully licensed driver. So if we could take the next 45 minutes of the service and just pray um, <laughs> for our family. And one of the things that our oldest Cole is uh, so pleasantly hearing on the tips of her ears on a regular basis that, and you know this if you've been in like the learner's permit season of life, uh, is that refrain, that repeat of, hey, check your blind spot. Check your blind spot. And a blind spot relative to driving is that spot that is just outside of the mirrors to the left or the right where you can't see the car that is uh, there. And so, you know, it's a, you know, check your blind spot, check your blind spot, or something, check your blind spot! <laughs> because you know, to not check the blind spot could lead to a wreck, a dangerous wreck as a result of not checking that blind spot. 
But if you aren't as blessed as our daughter is to have parents chirping in her ear, uh, check your blind spot, check your blind spot, you might have one of these newer cars that I've discovered have these things, these little lights that they call a blind spot indicator. A blind spot indicator where you can be told by this little light that there is something in your blind spot. And I think processing our emotions, our anger with another person or like, you're, like, a, like a small group of people, it can serve as a blind spot indicator that warn us and help us to discover, hey, what is it that's in our blind spot? Because we know to neglect the blind spot, to remain blind to the blind spot could lead into a wreck, emotionally or relationally. And again, since happy, sad, and angry doesn't quite give us enough information, a good friend or, you know, as we grow together and serve together, a grow together small group here in the life of this church can help you to discern, you know, the thing beneath the thing, the the fire that's actually billowing the smoke of anger. James, uh, and the brother of Jesus, he says it this way. He says, James 5.16, to confess your sins to each other to pray for each other, confess and pray for one another that you might be healed. That it's in, that's what God set up the church as, to be a place where with one another we can pray and confess our stuff and find healing. The proverbial wisdom of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter four, he says it this way, that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But catch this. Pity the man, pity anyone who falls and has no one there, no one to help them see their blind spot, to help them up. And then that passage goes on to say that a cord of three strands, essentially a small group, a group of people, that is not quickly broken. My wife Jessica and I, we've been part of a small group for a a number of years with other couples uh, where the other group members and us, we can attest, like we have absolutely experienced the power of this. We've experienced in powerful ways the ways in which we can process a conflict and anger and things going on, often even sometimes better in our small group than we can just one-on-one, even if it's just to make sure there's some referees there to break up two strong-willed firstborn children trying to figure out life. And so discover the why, Get some other people around you to help do that. And then as you grow an understanding of what's going on, the fire beneath the smoke, you can then learn to slow your anger. Slow your anger, or as the kiddies say these days, slow your roll. You can learn to slow your roll. It's a very biblical idea. Proverbs 14, 29 says that whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And so the adage of seek first to understand and then be understood, it is rendered void. When you lead with making sure that the only thing that is being understood is the way you are feeling in that moment, moment, you know, manifesting yourself in a hasty temper. It leads to folly. It doesn't lead to good things. Proverbs 19.11 says that good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. That more often than not, in the everyday rhythm of life, the best thing to do uh, is just to make like Elsa and just let it go, let it go. Uh, Or as the saying goes, to not make a mountain out of a molehill. That it will be to your glory, it'll be to your betterment to overlook a small offense. And in order to pull off this slowness, in order for our anger, Proverbs 
tutors us, saying then, a gentle answer will turn away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Um, you know, it's amazing how often we can defuse a situation just by the way in which we respond. Uh, our kids, I, they, they are so tired of hearing it. It's not what you said, it's the way you said it. That's the way you said it. You out there gonna finish that for me? Nope, okay, still not a favorite. <laughs> So not a favorite line in our house. Marriaging, uh, marriage and parenting therapist and author Hal Runkle, he says, uh, the greatest enemy to our life's most important relationships is our own emotional reactivity. The greatest enemy to our important relationships of life is our own emotional, emotional reactivity because we know it's a harsh word, a reaction, a reactive word that will stir up anger, but on the inverse, it's a gentle answer that can turn away wrath. Therefore, Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is actually better than the mighty. Meaning if you're slow to anger, you have more power and influence than all the resources of a mighty person. Because after all, that is who our God, who we are aiming to emulate is. That's who he is. It says in Psalm 145, eight, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, that he is slow to anger because he is rich in love. It's interesting that that phrase, slow to anger, in the original Hebrew language in which it was written, uh, it literally means to be uh, long of nostrils. Long of nostrils, which is a kind of a confusing thing. But when you think about it, think about um, like if uh, you, know, you are starting to get upset, like physically, like in your physiology, what starts to happen? Like your nostrils start to flare. And you think about like maybe like a little child who you've seen this, like if they get upset, you know, they furrow their brow and they, <laughs> like, a little, like a little steam engine, like a little baby bull getting ready to, to get to go and their, their, their nostrils get moving real fast. But if you have, uh, you could say um, like, like a big old schnoz, uh, when it comes to, you know, the slowing of your pacing. and your, I mean, that's what's saying, like, that's who our God is in a kind of metaphorical sense. Like, God has a very long nose, a big old nose that he's slow to anger, slow to get to going. They're slow to start flaring because that's who our God is. He is not short-fused. He is not quick-tempered. He is slow to anger because he is rich in love, gracious, and compassionate. And so getting very practical in this, um, uh, I, I appreciate the way that Stephen Covey uh, says that we can slow our anger, He's, or actually slow the response, uh, or the space, what he might say, between our stimulus and a response, saying that that's what we've gotta do, that in our lives we have these inputs, something that kind of might light us up, and before we respond too quickly, we've gotta take the space between the stimulus and the response, and we've got to separate it, we've gotta expand it, we've gotta slow that time between the input and our response, our reaction. We've gotta stretch that out. So I think of it like um, if you've ever taken one of those slow-mo videos on your camera phone deal, where it's like if you go back and watch it, like everything's moving just fine, and then just stops and goes so slow. Like you have to install that app in your thinking that as the stimulus comes in, you gotta slow time, slow your anger, slow your response so you can be intentional about responding the way that you want to rather than the way that your physiology is uh, hastily encouraging you to do. Um, it's interesting that when anger or stress is triggered in our physiology, it puts us in what you're probably familiar with, what they might call fight or flight 
mode. And what that means is, is that these chemicals of adrenaline and cortisol are literally being flooded into our brains that makes it impossible. Like you are literally drunk on these chemicals inside of you that you cannot think clearly, you cannot think rationally, you are just thinking survival, fight or flight. And so you're unable to do this, and so you have to figure out how do you slow your anger in the midst of those chemical releases within your brain. Uh, we would do well maybe to take the advice, if you've got kids that watch PBS shows, of uh, Daniel Tiger from Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. It's for kids, but it's equally helpful for adults. Check this out. When you feel so mad that you wanna roar, take a deep breath and count to four. One, two, three, four. I love it. And you end up at the beach. What a, what a great plan. So breathing, counting, you know, taking a walk, you know, research uh, concludes that it actually takes about 20 to 30 minutes for your body to actually return to normal levels. Uh, what's interesting is, is like you think you've solved it, like you've you know, counted to four, you've had your 30 seconds, and what you really gotta watch out for is like the five minutes later, because all those chemicals are still going, and you think you're good, and it starts back up again, and boom, like a switch, there you are again. And so you've gotta take the time to slow that response beyond just the first count, and into uh, a good 20 or 30 minutes before you can even have a chance and allowing your brain to accurately assess what's taken place, problem solve, uh, and begin to comprehend what it is you might be able to do as a result. So take that time to breathe, to count, go for a walk, whatever it takes to slow your anger and to put some space between the stimulus and how it is that you would, by the power of God's Holy Spirit and his instruction, his tutoring within his word, would prefer and would be wise to respond, okay? And then lastly, lastly, Forgive where needed. Forgive where needed. This is kind of like an asterisk to the whole thing. Uh, in that, yes, Proverbs 19.11 says, as we looked at earlier, it is to your glory to overlook an offense, to you know, not make a mountain out of a molehill. But sometimes the situation is, in fact, a mountain. And the process of forgiveness in a big thing rather than just overlooking the small things is in order. Uh, and really, that's, that level of forgiveness, that conversation is really a whole sermon in and of itself, um, of which I would strongly encourage you uh, that if, uh, if this is you, if this is where you find yourself, uh, Pastor Rick Grace, during our series, written in red, the words of Jesus, nothing like delegating the last point of my sermon, uh, point four, I think, someone, I think they're gonna dock my pay 25% because I'm doing this, but... Um, <laughs> But he did such a fantastic job of giving us the wisdom of Jesus uh, on, on how, we is, how we can, regardless of what it is that we're facing or have dealt with, can actually move into the freedom for us that is found in forgiveness. It has nothing to do, actually, with the offender. So all that said, you can go to firstdecatur.org uh, slash sermons, click on written in red, and go to March 20th, and you can um, maybe catch that if you missed it, or uh, if you're like me, you could just use a, a refresher on that subject. Um, so as you consider this, as you consider what to do, and you know, is it worth it like to, to do the work, to not just walk out of here like it was just another weekend, uh, I would just invite you to just take a moment here, and just pause, it's like just imagine your world, 
and the role that anger plays in it and how much different your world, how much different your relationships could be if you took the time to identify, to ask the tough questions of the why behind the what of your anger, to, to confess your anger, to share it, to process it with a trusted other. And then in that understanding to learn to slow your role, to slow your anger, and then even beyond that, to where necessary, learn and grow and move into a space of forgiveness. Forgiveness extended to others the same way, might I remind us, that we have been extended through our Father in Jesus Christ. Because when we understand forgiveness, we don't just have to imagine, like making our life better. It's not just about that. It's about our heart being changed in such a way that we then are in a position to live out and live in uh, really the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, a prayer that says, your kingdom come, all your will and your ways be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. The kind of life that forgives your debtors, that forgives those who've trespassed against you, that forgives those who have sinned against you just as we have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. That as we are led by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be led through those temptations that are crouching at the door of anger, we would find that we are delivered from evil, delivered from the evil one by the power of Jesus Christ. That in a world where our hearts are changed, we are then positioned to authentically further his kingdom through his forgiveness, through his grace that comes by his power and all for your glory. We pray it as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.